Now we'll do the, the holy letters of the Rebbe, Igros Kodesh. This is volume four, and this is letter number Tuf Tuf Lamatez, that's 839, and it's addressed on the fourth day of Hanukkah in the year Tuf Shinyadalov in Brooklyn. And this is a letter which the Rebbe sent to this uh, the great genius and the great Chassid who occupies himself in community affairs. His name was Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin. He was a major uh, Chabad uh, rabbi and uh, an author. The uh, encyclopedia for the Talmud was actually his uh, brainchild, and he worked on the many volumes. I mean, it continues now after his passing, uh, and they're still not even close to being finished. Uh, and um, they also um, authored many, many books, and he was a renowned scholar, and he also um, uh, knew a lot of Hasidus. He has volumes of stories, Sipuri Hasidim, which he authored. And he was just generally uh, very respected in in all communities. And and but first and foremost, he was a Chabad Chassid, and he was uh, dedicated to the Rebbe's causes. So the Rebbe uh, gives him now uh, attaches the pamphlet that was uh, published for Hanukkah, even though it's already towards the end of Hanukkah. Uh, the Rebbe said it delayed till it. For technical reasons, it took time until it uh, was published. But nevertheless, the Rebbe says, certainly uh, you might be able, you will certainly find words uh, of desire in this pamphlet, you know, words worthwhile for now even. Uh, now the Rebbe says, I'm going to answer your letter. First of all, the Rebbe thanks him for publicizing the Rebbe's view and the Rebbe's suggestions as far as uh, the elections. I'm assuming, again, it doesn't say here, I'm assuming it talks about the elections in Israel. Well, you know, many Haredi uh, rabbis, they totally uh, refrained and abstained, and they said they want nothing to do with the Israeli government. They don't want anybody to uh, uh, have anything to do. They, uh, with What's that the, uh, No, some of the Haredi. No, don't, you, know, you have uh, the different, you know, the Satmers, the Satmers, and... And, but there's many. They're not. They're not only. There's a lot of groups like that. And there were, but there were, but the rebbe's, the rebbe's view was always to vote for the government. And the rebbe took a lot of flack for it. But the rebbe stood by his his view, of course. Yeah, they don't vote. The rebbe said to vote, and to always vote for the most religious party, the one, the most religious party that it is. Although Lubavitch always remained non non-sectarian, uh, non, uh, didn't belong to any uh, group or any, but no, never made their own group. Um, and the Rebbe says, uh, at an appropriate time you'll give over to this great genius rabbi, uh, that's the Rabbi Herzog, Halevi Herzog, he was like the chief rabbi, uh, based on what I wrote in my previous letter. Uh, that was the, um, that was the uh, Rebbe to write with him. Now, uh, he wrote to the Rebbe that from time to time they have some sort of a question in the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch, what we're learning over here, and he wants to know if the Rebbe uh, would uh, want him to, he want to write to the Rebbe and they get, I get the Rebbe's view on certain things that they're not sure about. And um, he asked the Rebbe. So the Rebbe says, it's obvious that I'd be delighted to uh, read any of your uh, insight into Torah, especially as it relates to 
verifying the view of the Alter Rebbe, uh, that's for sure. But the Rebbe says, upon condition, that you will not be upset with me if my response is delayed, because my letter is delayed, because of the so many preoccupations that have, that have surrounded me, and that they are increased from time to time. And uh, the Rebbe uh, blesses him with a blessing of Hanukkah, that we should merit, each one of us, to light the uh, lighting of the Hanukkah menorah on the entrance of your house, on the outside, to increase, go and increase. Basically, what the Rebbe was, was, was referring to on the outside, to illuminate the darkness, and to always constantly increase in the level of, uh, of study. Now, there are various uh, discussions that we have today recorded between the Rebbe and Rabbi Zevin. Very interesting, and you know, there's no match to the Rebbe's <laughs> knowledge, wisdom, insight, intellect. There is no, uh, there's no match. And he was a great, great rabbi. And it's interesting to see some of the debates. You know, of course, uh, the Rebbe is uh, always comes out, you know, on the top. But at least he put up a good fight. <laughs> he put up a, a strong, uh, a strong argument, you know. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, no. But the Rebbe with the greatest movement, what? His, his intellect, was that sort of born, like bright, or do you think it was from all his training or his combination? It's probably a combination, but he was, well, he had a gift from God. Right. Yes, he comes from a family. Right. And most important is that, you know, like I said many times, that, you know, the, we each one, as people normally, uh, we feel ourselves as, um, you know, we have our ego, and, and, and we have, and we, we don't feel that we're here to serve anybody else. We just feel that we are here to expand our own self. We're not here to serve for anybody else. That's why, especially in the American culture, you know, everything is the I, everything the iPad, the I, and now it's the selfie, you know, everything is selfie, it's I, it's all about you. That's what everything is, is about. And that's why actually religion and God has, uh, has very little place in this kind of thinking. Because really what, what, what religion tells you is, it's not about me, it's about God. So it basically tells the person, I am here to serve God. And if you think about it is, it is like a servant, like a slave. What is a slave? A servant. A servant knows, he doesn't have any other, and we're talking about somebody who was born as a servant. They don't have any other desires. I'm not talking about somebody that you forced slavery, but I'm talking about the people who were slaves, for example. They, their mentality was, I'm here to please my boss. I'm here to do. And to them, their whole life is, sometimes you have workers like that. You have sometimes dedicated workers they don't look at themselves. They say, I don't care about me. I don't care what time I have to get up. I don't have my job. They take it really seriously in their mind. They, they actually have in their conscience, in their mind, they say, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for my boss. Whatever he wants, and, then it, and they'll fight for him. What do you care? It's not your money. You're not making anything out of it. You've seen some of those workers, and they treat somebody else as if it was their own. It's something that they feel inside them. They feel ownership. No, and they feel that that is their goal in life. They don't care. You know, in, in some communities, marriages are like that. You know, some, some, some communities, the marriages are like that. Sometimes women 
some societies, women feel that their whole theory is to serve their husband, to do all day, all all there is need, and don't worry, it's not in America. But <laughs> it works a little bit differently. <laughs> but but in some in some communities, that's the way it is. In some in some communities, what am I trying to bring out? It's a feeling of really subjugation. It's a feeling of subjugation to someone. Sometimes it comes because you adore somebody. Sometimes because you realize their great level. Sometimes you say. You know, this, this individual is, 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 is so great that whatever he says, I'm just going to be a servant to him. In a certain sense, I haven't described enough what is the dedication from a chassid to a rebbe, especially in the Chabad chassidim. They really feel totally privileged to be able to do something for the rebbe, which in turn is to do something for Hashem. But to them, the Rebbe gives over to them, makes Hashem's will more uh, approachable because uh, Hashem is too distant from us. But a human being who teaches you, who can talk and speak and walks on the same planet as you do, that's easier to accept from him. So they look at the Rebbe as the agent of Hashem in this world to teach them. But because they're ready to subjugate themselves to Hashem, they also subjugate themselves to the tzaddik, to listen to the tzaddik and hear what the tzaddik has what to say. And that's a tremendous level of, it's not understood because in culturally in our society, we're not subservient to anybody. And we don't, you know, everybody's ego is in the way. Do your own thing. Yeah, everybody's ego is in the way and everybody's trying to self-exervation, trying to promote yourself and finding yourself. We're not here to serve somebody else. But now, the Rebbe was such to his father-in-law. Now, the Rebbe was gifted in all kinds of ways. Both, like you said, first of all, gifted from God with leadership, with intellect, with knowledge, with anything that you can want. Insight, he was gifted with all that. God gave it. He also developed it even more. But he took all of his talents and everything that he had, he totally subjugated to his father-in-law. His father-in-law was the tzaddik, was the Moshe Rabbeinu of his generation, who he totally subjugated himself. He lived for making sure that the Rebbe's wishes, the Rebbe's mission, the Rebbe's interpretations are preserved and spread out. And therefore... The Rebbe took all of his capabilities and threw it in. And the Rebbe got everybody else to follow suit. That is why we learned from the Rebbe's example. Yeah, go ahead. about serving God and the Rebbe in fear? Like punishment or, you know, no. like Shmah, that second person of the If you don't do that, you're going to get above it. So, like, you think people... But, okay, so, you know of saying? course, of course, there is that aspect as well. And people, we need to know that there is... Uh, accountability and people, there's consequences and we have to take responsibility for what we do but the most effective way that these works and these are things that you have to adjust according to the audience and according to the time you live in as you know with your own disciplining your child and you know that there's various different children not every child responds to the same kind 
of discipline. Some need a harder hand. Sometimes children need to be threatened. Sometimes punishment. Sometimes children need to be loved. Sometimes they need to feel loved. Sometimes they feel that's the way to get them. There's very there's not one method that works perfectly. While they all may be true, but yet what is the effective way? And nowadays, primarily, in the olden days, there used to be a philosophy before the Hasidic approach came in and became the overwhelming way to reach out. There used to be an approach when people would would, would fear most God out of fear, of fear of punishment. And that worked for them to keep them sort of doing what they're supposed to be doing. But the reality is that um, today uh, the most effective way and the practical way is to love the other person and to know that they love you. You know, there are some people who make it their business to try to find fault with everybody, they try to tell you what's wrong with you, and they try to say you're not, you're not good enough. And, you know, sometimes there's parents like that. They're not doing their children no favors. They're looking, they're poking, and they're always finding something negative. And they create a whole negative atmosphere and that is very um, uh, counterproductive, sort of, to success. The other way is to find the positive, encouragement, give them, empower them, give them opportunities. Yeah? Well, the whole thing when we deal with parents who are having trouble with their kids, and they punishing them, and punishing them, it doesn't work, and say, find, you know, tell them when they're doing good. Absolutely. Catch them when they're doing good. That's right. And, and that, that is... That may work better. And, but the problem is, some parents grew up with negativity, and then it's sort of a chain, right? Then they continue that negativity. Yeah. Spanked, yeah. And they don't know any other way, or they're too frustrated, too overwhelmed to take... In, you know what? The, 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 the real issue is, parents don't want to discipline themselves, they discipline their children, but they don't control, they're out of control, and then they want that their children should be controlled, because when they don't, they don't model for them the way what it means they control. I got to tell you, I spoke yesterday. Two happened to be in one day. I spoke to two families who have children that are rebelling. Seventeen, one the other one twenty-two, and they're just rebelling. And the parents are crying, you know, crazy. And plus, I had another one two shabbos ago where they're crying, and you know, they belong to another part of Judaism, not the Orthodox. And they're so upset, and they say that that movement, the conservative movement, they're saying, failed them. That's what they were saying. They really feel they did everything, and they were really staunch members, and they did everything, and they feel that they failed them. That's what they feel. What's interesting, when we have kids that do drugs and alcohol, you find out the parents do it too. And that's many and times. Like, you know, like there's a commercial, and a father finds his kid doing marijuana, and he's shaking, and he goes, where did you learn to do this? Where did you learn to do this? And the kid goes, everything you can. Okay, that's... Okay. Right, right. So, what I'm saying is, is good, that's, that's absolutely correct. And that, and it's, it's very hard uh, to discipline yourself. And, you know, we live, and that's why I'm saying, this works in all areas, and this is not unique to any group. You know, in school, we try to teach morals to the kids, and you try to do gentleness, you try to teach... And you come home, you hear the parents screaming at each other, there's no respect, and there's no... So what is the kid is called confused? He just learns, you know, you speak one thing and you do something else, and it, it really has no... There's really no value to what you're saying. So he says, 
you know, like I mentioned earlier, people see the hypocrisy. I mean, kids are smart. You know, they see, you know, they, they start seeing and they start questioning it. That's why they rebel, because they're looking for a better world. They're looking for better. They want things, they des- and they deserve better. That's why they go to games. Sometimes they go other things. But you know, at least over there, they get some loyalty. They stick together for each other. They do. They, they're looking for security by knowing it, and they don't find it. That's why teachers have to be examples, because I always tell my kids, you know, the, yeah, the, the teacher should set an example. We used to say at camp, uh, I think it was like, or something, like, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. a living example of what baby does. Right. And it's not not do do not do as I say, do as I do. Right. And I think, I mean, that's my own. If I can say, right. the Rebbe's success lie in the fact not that the Rebbe can talk and, and 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 deliver the most greatest sermons and insights in the Torah, but rather the way the Rebbe lived his own life. The Rebbe's dedication. When you read the Rebbe's letter. Every single letter he writes about his father-in-law, that he's the Rebbe and we should do what he wants. So what do you get? You get a sense of the Rebbe's total respect and subjugation. Now one of them argue, say the Rebbe was such a genius. Maybe the Rebbe was a greater genius than his father-in-law. It didn't bother him. It didn't. The Rebbe was totally, he was the tzaddik and he's the leader and I'm going to be humble. What is Rebbe telling us? It doesn't matter how much, it's not just about how much learning, how much brains you have. That's not what it is. We don't, uh, we don't uh, glorify just the intellect. Of course, that's a gift of God. That's not yours, what God has given you. It depends what you do with it. It depends how you live your life. That's right. He and was he, just there to take his, because he couldn't be there physically, he was there physically. That, exactly. Spiritually, the that's the way the Rebbe looked at it. That's the way looked at it. And, but, but that's hard to, to see in all these years. And because the Rebbe lived like that, his chassidim treat the Rebbe like that as well. He had, he had great insight for what his father right. love wanted. He was a tzaddik, he had insight, he knew he was the Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Rebbe Hashem was the leader of the world, and you do whatever Hashem wants. Hashem wants his father-in-law to be the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says, I'm totally subjugated to the Rebbe. Well, no, it's like, um, it says, Kabone Abicha you know, honor your parents. There's a lot of cultures, like, especially I've seen the um, Chinese people, they're very respectful to their elderly. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they treat their grandparents with the utmost respect and honor. And they may even be brighter than their grandparents, but it's a, an honor to treat them with the respect part of their culture. You know, the, they don't, when they get old, they don't put them in nursing. Right, they, they take care of them. Yeah. They, they, there is a very, very big... Reminds me of this story about this, this is an American family who... Uh, who, uh, you know, they lived, they were very wealthy, lived in a house, and the father became old and had no choice, so, you know, it was cheaper to keep him at home than put him in a nursing home, so he built him a little shack next to the house and threw him in over there. And one day, his kid is playing with this fancy, fancy blocks. So a little kid is playing, and the kid is building himself a, a big, beautiful mansion, you know, with everything else. And in the back, he's building a little shack over there. So his father says, what is that? He says, that's my, what's that little place over there? That's where I'm going to put you when you get old. <laughs> so, you know, what comes around goes around, you know? No, but what the point, no, the point, what I'm, what I'm saying is, 
it's a lot of times, it's even hard to imagine how could somebody so great as the Rebbe be subjugated. But at the end of the day, you understand to the Rebbe, the Rebbe, everything was Hashem. It wasn't Him. It was God. And we, to us, why is it hard for us? Because we are so trained and we're so into self-centered that we, we, we can't even comprehend that somebody else should be, not be like that. And we have this thinking outside, looking on people who are trying to please other people, who live for other people. To get an example of what it means for somebody who wants to live for Hashem. You know, his, Hashem is the one that is in charge and they're, they're actually uh, subjugating themselves to Hashem. Yeah? To, yeah, you know, he started his father-in-law. His father-in-law seeded it, but the Rebbe, with his capabilities, expanded it hundredfold. Not only insight, insight, and the total fortitude. Why would one who could? Why would one who could sit and study Torah, have all the honor, have right books, be respected, why would he want to go out and deal with all these other things which take away his time, take away his talent, take away his connection with God, his lofty connection? But this means the self-sacrifice for the mission. That means a leader. A leader isn't concerned about himself. He isn't concerned about himself. And that's why we get the leader, the leaders that we get today, they don't care about the people. All of their care is about their legacy. Right. They're trying to uh, create for themselves. But they don't care about the people. So all what their whole motivation is how to preserve their own their own thing. Become a, and what happens with that, they make all the wrong decisions because of that. But that's unique for it. So the Rebbe, after being so much service, and still, yeah, go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, but subjugated to Hashem is positive. Right. It is the same word subjugation, but depends to whom, not to Pharaoh. Like I tell my kids, it's more important to feel and care for other people than how smart you are. You may think you're smart, but you know, in terms of caring, that's more important. You know, it's your heart. It's what you do. Right. It's not just you know. People celebrate today uh, intellectual achievements and everything else, but they don't pay enough attention. And what happens, unfortunately, you got a lot of smart people doing terrible things. And you got some of, uh, Marty will tell you, of all these gangs, they were smart people, they knew how to, but they did terrible things. That wasn't, uh, they weren't. What? And no, but what I see is this is bringing me back to the point. Uh, and you know, and you, people have to think about it before it gets, 
you know, before it gets too late. Because what happens is, you know, when children are young and things, everything is going, you know, but they very, very quickly, they become unhappy. They become unhappy, even if you can provide for them the latest Game Boys, ever, they become unhappy because their neshama looks for some meaning. And you have to find means to connect them with spirituality. And you have to, there is really no choice, you have to connect them to God. If you don't connect them to God, you don't connect to spirituality, you don't make that, you don't train them, you don't bring it in that, then at the end of the day, they get, I'm not saying everybody, some of them, you know, go through, but there is a lot of chances of rebelling, of kids rebelling, because they are unhappy. Materialism cannot quench the thirst of the longing soul. You see a lot of elderly people become very religious in their later part of life. Because either they come to the realization it's all that material stuff doesn't matter. I mean, I've seen that happen where someone was totally not religious. And as they get older, it's worse. The end, when you're dying, you know, it's your family that you know care about, not you know your cars or you say yourself, you're even like this couple was sitting at my house. They said themselves, they say themselves, where do we go wrong with our kids? We thought we gave them everything that they wanted, and we did. And you know what? But more than what you're saying, not that you don't take materialism with you, but materialism doesn't really feel the need, what the void, what you're looking. You're trying to give them more. The soul wants more, wants something. If you bring somebody into a shul and they say cottage, they feel so good. It just feels good. You know, it just feels good. You feel, you feel a sense of it. Just feels good. And you can't make that up with, 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 with trips, with vacations, with cruises, with with go. You can't make it up. It's not going to help you. You can say people who are depressed. You know, they would go shopping and they practice retail therapy. Yeah, but it only lasts. You know, you buy the coke, then you get the bill, and then you're very depressing. Retail therapy. Retail therapy, that's interesting. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. But let me ask you something. Do we. Have you ever seen the richest people who think they have it all avoid death? No. Can they escape death? No. Do they take anything along with them and death? Nothing, zero. So what are they, you know, I mean, nobody, nobody at the end of the day, you don't take them along. We have a saying, it's up in the wall, you know, when I get old, it doesn't matter how many cars I had, how big my house was, the most important things that made a difference in the life of a child. That's exactly. But that's that that nobody can take away from you. If you do good, nobody can take away. Uh, but I, going back just to this point, uh, the Rebbe led by example. And when you hear, you know, the Rebbe speaking to everybody, the Rebbe treated. You know, here you have Rabbi Zevin, who is a world-renowned scholar, talking to the Rebbe. At the same point, the letter before, the Rebbe was talking to a student who was asking him, telling the Rebbe that uh, he started to learn some Mishnayis. So, and Rebbe says to him, well, won't you notify me your progress? You would make me really 
happy. And the Rebbe covered everybody in every spectrum. The Rebbe had a heart which was open for everybody. But most of all, the Rebbe took every ability and every talent they had, dedicated to encourage everybody to further their connection to Hashem. And the way Absolutely. Right, like and more than rabbi, first he did it and then he said it. We had a rabbi, he was you know, conservative, he was very kosher. And we once asked him, Would you ever go into McDonald's and buy a bottle of water? And he goes, I would never do it because then people might think it's kosher, you know. So like to lead by example, he would never yeah. and, I, I, and I hope that that's not the same rabbi that that did some other stuff over there. No, okay. You know, I mean uh, no, that's not that same rabbi. Okay, you know, and that's not unique. I mean, just because they call themselves rabbi, it just doesn't right. mean anything, you know. You doesn't, know it's a different, you know. But in, in a way, it's it's. it's but paper. no, but it's deceiving because. Uh, and I actually yesterday I was I had I was with a whole bunch of people of Temple Israel yesterday. I was uh, there and and the guy told me it really still hurts. It's very they're very hurt because these were people that their whole trust was violated and they they, they can't come to themselves. They say we suffered, we suffered. And we're still suffering. He says, you don't can't imagine how much we're suffering because of disappointment. But so you Why can't put pro- rabbis to a higher standard. See, and they, they sh- I hate that because people go, oh, it's a rabbi, but the stuff they did, no one should do. Yeah. Well, that's number Sometimes one. Say, oh, he's a religious number man. one. Number he one. Keep up. He can't steal. No, but but, but 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 you know what? <laughs> but to them, it's just a job. It's not even. It's like you're saying it's a job. It's not a. It's, it's not really. It's a profession. That's how they make their living. It, from them, see, this is the difference. The difference is, and the problem becomes, because everybody gets the name rabbi, so you call a rabbi. So you don't know. A rabbi is a rabbi. That's it, just one name. But the, 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 there's a difference. It, it's between east and west. It's as far as east is from west. There, there's, there's, no, there's no connection over there. Just because they call themselves a rabbi. We're not talking about somebody who has a job as a rabbi. We're talking about a Moshe Rabbeinu. We're talking about a leader, a true leader. We're not talking about this is all. And you have to be able to to, to be smart enough to see, <laughs> you know, we're talking about different things here. And you call them the same name, but they don't mean the same thing. So do you feel that you have to be more holier lead than your congregation because they look up to you? I'm going to answer you to that. We all have to deal with our own uh, little Yetzir Hara evil inclination. And we small people are not perfect. If we would look for only rabbis that are perfect to lead, then we wouldn't have enough rabbis to lead. That means, though, which means like this, and I can say the same thing about the Rebbe. If the Rebbe would have looked for the perfect shaliach to become a shaliach, there would be not many shaluchim. What the Rebbe's idea was, look, we all have work to be done, and we all have things. There is a fire burning out there now. While you're trying to help somebody else, hopefully you'll improve yourself too. So hopefully because, and you know that you're responsible for somebody else. And like I like to say, what the Rebbe did was, he helped us, take in my case, very simple case. The opportunity to go and teach every day, and to learn and to be involved in Torah, was because the Rebbe put me in this position to be a shaliach. If I had a job, you know, computers, or I did something else, I wouldn't have the opportunity. So who did the Rebbe care about? The people that are sitting in the shir or the one that's giving the class? The Rebbe is helping the one that's giving the class as well. The Rebbe gave us an opportunity. The Rebbe said, does it mean the Rebbe was looking for perfect people 
to have no we have to deal with other things but the Rebbe said first of all if you have to prepare the class you have to study also and if you have to pay the people you better be better and if you're going to fail you know which you do sometimes I mean how are you going to show your face to some of the other people who you are time they're looking up to you hopefully that that will help you stay strong and where you got to stay strong because we all have our little guy working tricks on us and they pull us down and we don't we don't always fail but hopefully you get enough so when you're saying oh I saw a rabbi fail and therefore no it means he's just you when he's trying his best and he and he failed you know and that's it it's interesting because when they had that issue with temple Israel so many people were felt hurt because they all looked up to the rabbi as being a holier person than them they were disappointed right. they were disappointed they and the way to get over your anger and your pain is by employing pity. Pity. You have to pity him instead of feel bad for him instead of condemning him. It's the Yaakov Ashapodas Abraham. Because you have to realize that, you know, this silly temptation, he ruined his life. With him. He, ruined, he ruined his life. But these temptations are sometimes so strong and people, you know, one thing I want to tell you is we should we always pray we should never be tested because nobody knows when you're tested you know when you're gonna what you're gonna do it number one and number two we can't really judge anyone because we don't really know how much the person is sick maybe he's sick maybe the person has he has he can't control himself there's you know there's a lot of things it's not to condemn the person it's to feel bad in his case we look at him that he ruined his life, but you know what? I, I, I don't believe that he was... I think he may have done some good, he may have helped some people, and I'm not taking that away. He wasn't a good person, but he, he wasn't, as a rabbi, he wasn't genuine in the first place. I mean, in other words, I don't know. I don't know what he had to be genuine. I don't know what it is to be genuine. I don't know. He tried to do his job. That was his parnasa. That was his livelihood. And he did that. He was very popular. People liked him. That's, but again, that's a job that's doing... He's looking to please his audience, the people that pay his bills, that was he was all about. He wasn't a leader to teach the word, to teach the word of God. Because if he were, I think, I think, he would be in another place. He wouldn't be there. It doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him somebody... I mean, you get what you look for. What do the people want? Well, I think, too, you don't judge someone to you've been in their shoes. And, too, when everyone was angry at him, I said, it's sad, because his whole life is over now. And, I felt bad, like a lot of people, like you said, were angry, but most people, some people felt pity on him, and he did give, you know, he gave sermons and taught Torah, but you know what, it, it probably, you know, like you said, he got tested and he didn't, it's not that you don't like the person, he made a bad decision. But let me, but what I'm trying to say to you is this, what did the people want? They didn't want a spiritual leader to tell them what to do. They hired somebody that is going to be an accommodator, basically. And they voted for him, and that's what they wanted. And these people weren't looking to uh, be super religious. They wanted actually an approval for what their lives. They got what they, they got, they, they, they hired. And these are, and you know what? And he is, I don't see him being any different than anybody else. The fact that he was, you know what? The biggest problem is he was caught. 
I bet you, if you go there, you know, there are so many people and doing the same thing or similar would do it. The only thing they weren't caught. You think Madoff is the only criminal out there? Madoff, when everything went bad, he failed. Guess what? If the uh, crash wouldn't have taken place, another he'd make another million millions, and he died. They probably put him up on every on every building in the world. And that, that doesn't mean that he's not the criminal. That means he's still the same criminal. But the only thing is, he wasn't exposed. This rabbi happened to get out of luck. But what, what, what do you think? What, what kind of rabbi? You think he really had a holy man over there? I mean, you're not kidding yourself. You don't think he was a holy man? Did he give nice sermons? Yes. Was he did make you happy? Yes. Did he make you feel good? Yes. Did people like him? Yes. But from that to being holy is a whole different thing. I mean, being holy, being somebody subjugated to God, uh, taking God's word? No. They trust him. They trust him because he was a nice guy. So he was a nice guy. He, he was a hired person to do the job for you. What you want him to do? That's right. That's right. That's exactly. That's right. But that's what you want. Don't say that you're disappointed in in. And he's not disappointed. You took a regular human being and gave him a job. So he he knew more than the average. You know that today. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge him or anything else, but I'm just saying to you, the people shouldn't feel, they didn't look, they don't have, I don't think they have a right to be disappointed in the sense that, you know, he's just a human being, and he failed, and that's it, and the other ones probably failed too, and guess what, a lot of these people that are criticizing him, in their own personal life, when they're tested, they fail as well. But they say, well, we can fail. He can't fail. What did I? Right. He's just a human being. Because that's what they want to. That's what they want. Because they then, a part of their, a part of their grievances is because, okay, you know, I mean, again, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination apologizing for him or anything else. All I'm saying is, this is, he's a regular, this is not what we're talking about. But what I'm trying to distinguish between, when we talk about the real thing, you know, the bars are so low today that we don't even make a difference, but... Millions. Affected? No, no, I mean directly that went out and spread their word to all over the world. We don't know how many people they were affected. This is just a little cluster in a town. And they created an international movement. I want to say it again, so there should be no mistaken. The rabbis that you're talking about accommodate the wishes of the people. They're just there, there to serve the people. They hire somebody who is going to tell them what they want to hear. They don't hire somebody. People don't want to feel bad about themselves. People want to feel good about themselves. They hire everybody. And you know that well also. If you're an honest pediatrician, a lot of times you have a hard time telling the patients what they want to hear because they don't want to hear it. And you know you don't want to offend them. You don't want to lose the money. So you sort of sugarcoat it. You sort of you know, we're in education, and there's a mother comes in and wants to know why her little genius isn't getting A's and everything, and you gotta tell her that your little genius is not uh, is not that big genius you think he is. But how are you gonna tell her? She's gonna go out and let you have it if you tell her anything. You go, that's right. That was it. That's right. Exactly. I'm gonna change pediatrician. I'm gonna get the one. But how do you tell them? So what I'm saying to you. So these are the you're, you're talking. 
rabbis. They called them rabbis, but these are small. Rabbis pointing into the board of directors. That's right. No, Who's the board of directors, anyways? Five members attending. Five members who, who know nothing. And they determine then, yeah. what, how they've done the whole thing. It's interesting. It's a rabbi didn't campaign to be a rabbi either, right? No. He was sort of chosen by the people. We had to were, force him. We had to right, force him. Right, where out of these rabbis, they interview a bunch of That's them right. campaign. And we had to force him against his will. Am I late? Reluctantly. You reluctantly. What we do is now at Temple Israel, we're having these hearings to see what people wanted a rabbi. So they're meeting to, with people to talk to the congregation what they're looking for in a rabbi. Yeah, well, I say because they make the, they make the decisions, right. and so I, the only thing is what, what 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 I'm troubled by is when people just say rabbi, rabbi, they use it in the same breath, and we're talking about different. It's right. totally. It's not that they have to think. You have to right. think about what is it about a rabbi? What is it about them? That makes if you're talking about now again. I'm not saying, like I said before, the Rebbe was a rabbi on another different plane. He was the leader of a generation. But even the other rabbis that were working for him, they are plain simple people. They're trying to, and they're not perfect, and they make mistakes, and you need to know that. And if anybody thinks anything different, they're kidding themselves. But at least, you know, they try. They try. Sometimes their responsibility, knowing, that they have to go and lead other persons, that helps them stay strong themselves because they know that you have to face the other people and you have to say them. And those people have an expectation of you. Maybe that will help you restrain yourself so that you'll hold, you'll stay intact. But we are not perfect people. And like I would like to say, the Rebbe deserved to have shluchim that are perfect, that don't have any ego, that are not any self-interest, they put God in everything that they do. Can you imagine if we lived in a world like that? We'd have no fights, we'd have no competition, people would hate each other, we would live like brothers, we'd all get along. Everything the world would be, but guess what? That's going to be when Mashiach comes. That's going to be the world, it's going to be a perfect world. Everybody's going to live together without, without competition, without envy, and we're all going to be busy doing good, studying Torah and doing good things. But up till that time, and now unfortunate, we still have to deal with ourselves. And that's just the way it is. So, sometimes some rabbis are better than others. Sometimes they work through themselves. And, you know, and the main thing is we cannot really judge anybody because we don't really know what a fight a person has to go internally, what it takes from a person to overcome their own shortcomings. Sometimes, some people will say, we can't get up in the morning. And they can't. Now you say, what do you mean you can't get up? I get up every morning at 5 o'clock, what do you mean you can't? If I can, you can't. No. The other person can't. Because for them it's difficult. And for you, there may be something else that you can't do. Or maybe you're trained already yourself to do things that are not easy for you, and the other one hasn't trained. That's really what happens when a person becomes addicted. That is what addiction means. Addiction means that you've become so attached to something that it's almost impossible to let go. Does it mean when somebody is addicted to something that he can't let go? No. You still can say no if you want it. All it means is it's so impossibly more difficult. It's so impossibly hard. It feels like it's impossible, 
but you could. And the idea is two things. A, to look for ways not to fail, not to put yourself in situations where you can easily fail. If you feel that there is certain things, and you know, very simply, if you know you're going to bring the piece of cake to the table, you just know you're not going to resist, you're going to eat it, then what you got to do is not bring the cake to the table. That's the only thing. If you can't about what? You tell kids that are overweight, the parents go, I told them not to eat the chips. So I said, well, maybe don't buy the chips. And, and, and maybe don't eat it yourself. How many, they're sitting there, children telling them, you don't eat the chips. You know, and how many parents say to the kids, get off of that uh, iPhone, iPod of yours, and they're sitting and looking at the iPod while they're screaming at them, you know? <laughs> so what is the kid getting the message, you know? So they're, they're not doing what they're saying. So what I'm saying, so the number one thing is, don't put yourself in a situation. Try to avoid those stumbling blocks where you can't. Second thing is, we have a lot of professional help today also. When people have things, we have professional ways to... to um, therapy and uh, groups in different ways of helping people. But I think the most important thing is, and I would just finish with this thing, is I read in a Hayom uh, Yom last week, the Rebbe quotes over there that the Hasidim came, they said three things they said. And I was reading it and I was wondering, what's the meaning? He says, love another Jew, then God will love you. Then it says, do a favor for another Jew then God will do you a favor. And then finally it says, reach out to another Jew, then God will reach out to you. So I was saying to myself, what are these three things saying? How do they differ? What are the difference between, what do they mean? And I finally read like this. The first thing we say to you, love another Jew, we're talking about an emotion in your heart. You have to love the other person. Sometimes people will do for you, and they just do it for you, but they don't love you. So the first we're telling the person you have to love the other person. If you love the other person, the second thing we say, if you love the other person, God will love you. Then we say, do for the other person. Because sometimes people will say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But what happens? It comes to, let's see, what are you going to do because you love me? Are you going to help me? Are you going to do something for me? Are you going to go out of your comfort zone for me and do something? That's we say, do something for him. But it's not enough to do. If you're just going to do something and you're not going to love him, you're just going to do it, you know, do it and get away, get over with. If you do it with love, so we have these two things. You have to love, God will love you. You do, God will do for you. What's the third thing? But what do we do when we have a hard time? We don't have that love. We don't want to. So God tells us that was the third thing they said. Help another person. And God will help you. When you reach out to somebody else, God will reach out to you too. Which means if you find certain things hard for you to do on your own self, and we read it in the Rebbe's letters, when the Rebbe was saying, that's how I got the idea. We read it in the Rebbe's letters. The Rebbe said to people who were complaining about they're not happy with their own spiritual level. They want, they want to be better. The Rebbe said to them, you know what? If you go out and try to help another person, and you're going to make somebody else's level better, then God will help you that your own level will be better. So that's what we have to do. We can't, we shouldn't judge anybody. We shouldn't judge. After the terrible massacre that took place in Israel, in Harnof, in Jerusalem, I see in all the blogs, they were punished because the Zionists, they were punished because they went on the Temple Mount. You know, everybody knows. I said, hey, you know what? 
all these guys have already an agenda. They know already before it's going to happen. And they already have it in their piggyback. They're going to pull out the reasons. If anything ever happens bad, they're going to know why it happened. It happened because this one did this. And I said, you know what? That's such a cop-out. That's such an easy way out. What do I got to do about it? Nothing. It's your fault. That's not taking any responsibility. You can't do it. You're saying, I know why God did it. God did it with this. You know God. You, you know exactly God's cheshmer. God will ask you what you should do next. Because you're going to tell how could you? How could you be so even cruel to tell someone when they are suffering, tell them, I know why you're suffering. I know why you got killed. I know what these widows and orphans that were left over there while they were wrapped in the talus and the tefillin and in the most holiest moment to connect to God. I know why you got murdered over there by these savages. That's so cruel. It's even as cruel as the actual act itself. How could you say that? But I say more than everything else that exempts them from doing anything about it. If you want to say that that Zionist or whoever you're condemning and you're saying that he's uh, evil and everything else, why don't you do something? Why don't you go out and educate these people? Why don't you work out and try to bring them in? Make them closer to God. Teach them the right way. Teach them Torah. This is the difference between the Rebbe's approach and some of the other people. The Rebbe said, I'm not going to blame somebody for these people I'm going to do something about it. What am I going to do? I'm going to send out shulchim. I'm going to create institutions. I will teach people about God. Of course, we always have to take note if something terrible happens. But guess what? We don't have to point the finger at somebody else. If we're going to take note, it means that I have to be better. Not saying to you, you have to be better. Like we say, Hashamnu, I've sinned. You say, Hashamnu, you sinned. <laughs> you know, you're banging your chest. Don't blame other people. This is such a Easy cop out. Well, the same thing the Holocaust. Same example. People like to say, oh, the, the Jews deserved it because they weren't serving God or whatever. You yeah, know, they weren't, they they weren't religious. Right. Yeah. yeah. What are they going to do about it? And that's where the difference is. Don't blame yeah. and don't find fault. Take action. And don't do something. And if you were going to just very easily, and you know, I thought that I don't know if you were here in Yonta visit, it was a powerful word. You know, when Adam was asked, um, you know, God said to him, what did you do? You ate from the tree? So what did Adam say? Well, so the Midrash says that Adam says, yes, I ate and I'll continue to eat. But wait a minute, it doesn't say that in the verse. Because what did Hashem say when he said to him, did you eat? What did he say? Oh, it's my wife. It's her fault. He found, he blamed it on her. And when he went to the wife, he says, what did you eat? So oh, it's the snake. Everybody was passing along the buck. Nobody took responsibility. Guess what? If you don't take responsibility, then you're going to do it again. Then you will do it again. It's only that these people find it very easy to blame somebody else, not to take any responsibility. Responsibility mean, doesn't mean that I did it. Responsibility means to do something about it that it doesn't happen again. If you know why it's happening, because these people are not religious, you better start working and doing something by making people religious. Start teaching them. And guess what? If you're going to tell them that you're a, a shagitz and you're a bum, you're not going to make them religious that way. <laughs> Guaranteed. You'll just push them away and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Thing, like, you're a bum in the office, you know what? We know, you know, partners, we know, you know, we know we take responsibility. You know, we don't blame the nurse and go, it was her fault. Yeah. It's our, we have ownership, so we'll, even if we didn't do it, we're responsible. And that's, and you know what? And then you make sure that you don't do it again. Right. If you blame other people, then you're going to end up doing